Good morning. As much as any other voice in Scripture, Hosea fulfills the child's dictum when told that no one knows what God looks like, responded, they will when I finish. When Hosea has finished his sketch, we have full characterization of God one that does not accommodate the orthodoxies of Old Testament tradition and certainly not the belated orthodoxies of subsequent communities of faith. Those words, written by the ever-insightful Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann, a good friend, introduce an essay <clears throat> written in 2008 and entitled The Recovering God of Hosea. Hence the title of today's sermon, Forsaking Baal for the God who is in recovery. Even before Brueggemann's analysis of Hosea overwhelmed me, I happened to find it. I was captivated by today's lectionary reading from Hosea chapter 11. By the way, Ephraim is another name for Israel. When I was a child, I loved them and out of Egypt called my children. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. The sword rages in their cities. It consumes their oracle priests and devours because of their schemes. My people are bent on turning away from me. To this false god they call, but he does not, does not raise them up at all. I'm particularly overtaken by two phrases that capture our times. The sword rages in their cities. To this false God they call, but he does not raise them up at all. My people are bent on turning away from me. Suddenly, the distance between Hosea the prophet and the rest of us narrows because the sword rages in our cities. Only it isn't a sword. It's an assault rifle. One of the false gods of our times. A weapon so destructive that swords seem like butter knives. Here's the dynamic Hosea explores. Israel has lost its moral moorings. It has rejected the grace of God's guidance that led them out of slavery, fed them in the wilderness, 
and brought them to a new land. But now they are turning away from Yahweh and leaving grace behind. And Yahweh is furious at them. Their relationship with Yahweh is threatened by new deities represented in Baal, the Canaanite god of weather and fertility. The battle is on for the soul of Israel, but it is also a battle, Brueggemann suggests, Hosea says, raging within Yahweh. Israel deserves judgment. And Yahweh is more than ready to deliver it. But here's the divine dilemma. God asks, how can I give you up, Ephraim? As Hosea tells it, Yahweh is somewhere between the wrathful anger of a divine judge and the loving compassion of a grace-filled creator. Walter Brueggemann writes, Hosea dares to take us inside that complex interior life of Yahweh and thus to be exposed to a wide range of divine impulses not elsewhere available in Israel's sacred text. For Brueggemann, Hosea offers us a unique, audacious view of God. Ideas that, he says, are daring, offensive, and evocative, flowing from the depths of Hosea's passion and the richness of his imagination. Emotions that permit Hosea to say the unsayable. And just what is unsayable? that Hosea says out loud? Yahweh and Israel have a complicated relationship. Not simply because of Israel, but also because of Yahweh's own complex, unsettled internal life. And wonder of wonders, like many writers, Hosea articulates those insights through poetry. What Brueggemann calls an open, porous, imaginative, imaginative presentation that has no interest in or patience with tying things into a neat doctrinal package or producing the comfortable closure of a happy ending. Poetry is Hosea's means of illumining the walls of mystery, the unscrutable, the unsayable. Hosea's prophetic poetry carries Israel and the rest of us into a new understanding of the nature of God. What one, what one commentator calls a deeper entry into the heart and mind of God than anywhere else in the Old Testament. What Hosea finds in God's innermost mind and heart is grace. That grace becomes the source 
of recovery for God's own self beyond anger, vengeance, and retribution. When I read Brueggemann the first time, I got a headache. And we'll give you aspirin at the talk back. I hope it does the same for you. Hosea knows Israel is in a mess. They play political games with surrounding nations and go through the motions of devotion to Yahweh while fooling around with deities like Baal who offer them a new set of inhumane values. Worse yet, they have confused a loving relationship with Yahweh with an entitlement as God's chosen people. The prophetic poetry of Hosea calls Israel to remember that chosenness is not an entitlement. It is a gift of grace, a sobering lesson for any nation that claims to be divinely exceptional. Suddenly we're moved from Israel 750 B.C. to America 2022 A.D., confronting one of the most public and powerful balls of our time, the assault rifle, a false god that rages in our cities. Three mass shootings this summer out of over at least 314 this year document the tragic truth of such idolatry. May 14, an 18-year-old shooter devoted to the false god of white supremacy killed 10 black people in an African-American-based grocery store in Buffalo. June 24, another 18-year-old shooter killed 19 third and fourth graders and two teachers in Uvalde. July 4, that most sacred national holy day, a 21-year-old shooter killed six people and wounded at least 30 others in Highland Park, Illinois, during an Independence Day parade. Each of these shooters used an assault weapons purchased, no questions asked. Yet after decades of mass shootings, our national political leaders cannot find the courage to ban them nationally, and only seven individual states have done so. Today, I'm not talking about banning all firearms, just assault weapons, especially when privileging 18-year-olds. Nor are all gun owners idolaters. So why trouble us, you may ask, with this sermon on this issue, on this day? Because I've listened to the interviews with Uvalde parents in my native state as they move between anguish and anger at the death of children so disfigured that DNA was required to confirm their identities. This week, this very week, the Uvalde City Council asked Texas governor to call a special legislative session 
at least to remove the age of purchase from 18 to 21. But the families of the victims said that was not enough. Brett Cross, uncle and guardian of victim Uziah, Uziah Garcia, age 10. His uncle, Brett Cross, asked the council, do y'all know what a 10-year-old casket looks like? Because it's not a pretty sight. These weapons need to go. They need to go. The Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution is not an infallible and inerrant document that requires giving 18-year-old American idolaters or anyone else the right to purchase such instruments of potential child sacrifice. Lest we suppose that that's an exaggeration, we might recall the recent words of a member of the U.S. Congress who, when asked, how many AR-15s do you think Jesus would have had? Replied, well, he didn't have enough to keep his government from killing you. Idolatry, point one. Suddenly, the ancient words of Hosea become tragically contemporary to this false god they call, but he does not raise them up at all. My people are bent on turning away from me. That congressperson's foolish, foolish remarks took me back to the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and Christian martyr who wrote from Nazi prison in 1944. Evil always carries the seeds of its own destruction as it makes people at least uncomfortable. But against folly, we have no defense. Neither protest nor force can touch it. Reasoning is no use. Facts that contradict personal prejudices can simply be disbelieved. Indeed, the fool can counter by criticizing them. And if they are undeniable, they can just be pushed aside as trivial exceptions. So the fool, as distant from the scoundrel, is completely self-satisfied. In fact, he can easily become dangerous as it does not take much to make the fool aggressive. A fool must therefore be treated more cautiously than a scoundrel. We shall never again try to convince a fool by reason, for it is both useless and dangerous. Ironically, the Britannica Dictionary reminds us that we're all vulnerable to such foolishness, noting a person becomes guilty of a more subtle idolatry, however, 
when, although overt acts of adoration are avoided, he attaches to a creature the confidence, loyalty, and devotion that properly belong only to the Creator. Walter Brueggemann finds a similar warning from Hosea writing, the outcome of Hosea's characterization is a God who is a recovering agent of violence, who has deep violence in the marrow of personhood, a memory of violence, a memory of violence regretted, and many lapses back into violence but resolves to be a parent of compassion. Similarly, the timeless poet, poetry of Hosea, in which God is a recovering agent of violence, invites us, Brueggemann says, to be about the same recovery. At its best, the church insists that the compassionate God of Hosea became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. And in today's New Testament text, Paul describes what such compassionate new life requires. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. May I say that one more time? Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have closed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. In that renewal, there's no longer Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. That kind of spiritual recovery, Brueggemann says, is always continuing and never completed. It is a gospel. It is a gospel poetry. Enough for every one of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ. Amen.